Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. These verses that we've read together this evening, these verses are a fork in the road. What I mean by that is that at this point in Luke, the people in front of the Lord Jesus are beginning to fall into only one of two categories, either the rich or the poor. That's the fork in the road, the rich and the poor. And by rich and poor, what I mean is the people who know they need Jesus, that's the poor. And the people who don't realize they need him, that's the rich. There is no more important question for you this evening and for me at the start of this year. Which one of those two groups am I in? No more important question. And I say that fully realizing that many of us have huge things in front of us in this year ahead or even this very evening. Huge things waiting for us tomorrow at work as you try and with great pain pick up the pieces again at work tomorrow. We have a building project looming on the horizon, a wonderful, exciting venture that we do not yet have all the funds for. Some of us are looking for jobs. Some of us are longing for partners. Yet there is no more important question in front of any of us this evening than this. Do I know I need the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I rich or am I poor? How do you know which group you're in? Which one of those two options you're taking? But what Luke is wanting us to see here as we look at this story together, I think this is one of the most breathtakingly beautiful pieces in all of the Bible. For here is what Luke 7 shows us. We discover this evening where we are in relation to Jesus by two things. We discover where we are in relation to Jesus by, number one, how offensive we find his forgiveness. And number two, we discover where we are with Jesus by how much we know we need his forgiveness. How offensive is it and how much do we need it? See, try and imagine on a map, if the Lord Jesus is here on a map, And we want to know where we are in relation to him. Are we close to him? Are we right here at his side? Or are we miles away, far from him? Then Luke 7 says, well, if you want to know where you are, here is a mirror for you to look in, which will tell you. Magic mirror on the wall, it will tell you. If you find Jesus' forgiveness offensive, then you are probably much further from him than you think you are. But if you find his forgiveness being the one thing you know you need more than life itself, then actually you will find that you are right here at his side, at his table, in his kingdom. So two things to see. Number one, forgiveness is always offensive for Sam. Forgiveness is always offensive for Sam. For people who cannot see themselves as God sees them, forgiveness is a terrible offense. I want us just to look at Luke's storytelling art. We we need skillful stories like this, don't we, to get under our skin. How How does Luke set all of this up? What's the repeated word? Verses 36 to 39. Four times it comes, Pharisee, Pharisee. 
And look, incredibly, in each of those four uses of the word, in four short verses, each and every time, when Luke points out Simon the Pharisee, he points out that Jesus is in the Pharisee's house. So Luke is saying, I want you to know where Jesus is. He's in the place of ritual purity. He's in the home of the good guys, the spiritually rich, the people who keep the rules, the people who love their Bibles. Friends, oh how Simon loved his Bible. Jesus is in the home of a man who knows a thing or two about God, the minister's home. He's at a cleric's table. And into this place, this scene, the Pharisee's house, now comes, well, how would we describe her, verse 37? Well, for Simon the Pharisee, she is something that the cat dragged in, isn't she? It's a very ambiguous, loaded phrase, a woman of the city. She's well known, and she is well known as a sinner. That, that, that phrase, a woman of the city, it marks her out almost certainly as a prostitute. So look at the contrast here between Simon and this woman. By vocation, she is a woman for hire. By social status, she is a whore. And in this culture and in this religious world, in her impurity, a woman like this is contagious. If you touch her and you're touched by her, you are unclean. A woman like this, verse 37, a woman of the city probably fraternizes with the Gentiles to ply her trade. She violates the Torah, the law. And as if that wasn't bad enough, as if she hadn't crossed every red line in the book, look what she does. She brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Some commentators think this is a, a tool of her trade, her perfume, something to seduce men with. And at a formal banquet, she lavishes on Jesus an unbridled display of emotion. If she's wiping his feet with her hair, she has long hair, which means she has let it down. In this culture, it is intimate. Loose hair, loose woman. Probably the equivalent of going topless at a polite dinner party. And at that moment, right at that moment, the end of verse 38, as she does this, right at that moment, Luke says to us, as you look, can you see what Jesus can see? Can you see what Jesus can see? Just look at it. Yes, you can see the Pharisee. You can see the woman, certainly. Everyone can see the woman. All eyes are on the woman. And all eyes are on Jesus. What's he going to do next? But can you see what Jesus can see, says Luke. Look at verse 39. For Jesus can see what the Pharisee is thinking. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. Can you see what Jesus can see? For some people, law and only law, unflinching, unbending, unyielding law, fills their horizon so that all they can see is sin and scandal and shame and when that is all that they can see, here is what people like that believe. If that's all they can see, here's what they believe. It is God's job to be tough on sin. Now, what he's saying? If this man were a prophet, he was really from God. 
He would know God hates this sort of woman. He wouldn't stand for this. And so the trap is set, isn't it? The die is cast. And Simon the Pharisee, verse 39, I think we meant to imagine him openly appalled, folding his arms, appalled, of course, that this, that this is happening in his home. How terrible. And how secretly delighted he is. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, I was, you know, he wasn't always an old man. I always think of him as an old man. Every time I've seen photos of him, he was an, an older man, a stern-looking man, a famous, wonderful preacher. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say that you could tell how close you are to Jesus by how much you feel the temptation to just go on sinning. Amazing, when you, when you, if you can picture Lloyd-Jones in your mind, it's not the kind of thing you expect him to say. He was from the last century, he was old school. But he got this, he understood the offense of forgiveness. For, well look at Jesus here, doesn't he seem to act as if sin doesn't matter? He offers forgiveness, full and free acceptance to the worst of sinners. Lloyd-Jones used to say, you have only preached the gospel when people are so bewildered by that forgiveness that they're left scratching their heads thinking, hang on a minute, can I just go on sinning? Isn't that that what you're saying? I can just do whatever I want. Jesus doesn't seem to mind after all. He seems to include everybody. Everybody. We have only understood the gospel when we are left pinching ourselves about how incredible it is. It should be a wonder for us, friends, that the dirtier you are and the more broken you are and the more messed up you are, the more space there is for you at Jesus' feet. And unless we see that and know that, the forgiveness Jesus brings will be offensive. For here's the thing, we all have limits. We all have limits. Here's Simon's limit this evening. Let me ask you, what's yours? What's mine? Some of you will remember way back, uh, nearly 20 years ago, 2002, uh, the Soham murders in Cambridgeshire that shocked the world. Remember the brutal murder of 10-year-old Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman, murdered by Ian Huntley? And aided and abetted by his girlfriend, Maxine Carr. And she ended up being imprisoned as well for perverting the course of justice. If you remember that whole awful period, as they were uh, caught and imprisoned and on their way, being transported to and from the courts, large angry mobs gathered to scream abuse and to attack the police vans. What kind of woman... He's caught up in such a horrific crime. Leave Ian Huntley off to the side. What kind of woman is involved in that? Stands by as lives are taken and the truth of what has happened is covered up and lies. What kind of woman does that? Because of what society thinks of somebody like that, Maxine Carr lives now as an outcast with a false name, a new identity lives on the very fringes of society, constantly fearing for her life. Could Maxine Carr come close to Jesus? Could she do what this woman does? Could she shed her tears in his presence and touch him? And what would we say to ourselves if we saw her do it? 
See, we all think, don't we? We all think we're comfortable with God's grace until we see him show it to people we don't think should get it. But whether we find that display offensive or whether we find it humbling has everything to do with how we see ourselves before God. See, Jesus has a wonderful way, doesn't he? A wonderful way of saying, look, just you leave that other person to me. I'll deal with them. Yes, I, I, I can see what you can see. Yes, don't worry, I can. But can you see what I can see about you, Jesus says? For here's the second thing. Number one, forgiveness is always offensive for some. But number two, forgiveness is always necessary for all. Forgiveness is always necessary for all. Now, I want you just to notice a lovely detail here in this story. Who is it that names the Pharisee? Who is it that gives him his name? Four times I said the Pharisee, the Pharisee, the Pharisee, the Pharisee. And verse 40, Jesus answering him said to him, Pharisee? No. Simon. Do you notice that? It is Jesus who calls him by name. Not Luke, as he writes his gospel account. I want you to know, says Luke, what type of person he is. But Jesus knows who he is. Simon. My dear Simon. It's not the tone, isn't that what he's saying? See, Jesus loves him. He loves them the same as he loves this woman. We must not miss this. He loves them the same even though they are different. And he loves them the same even though they love him different. Oh, there is a chasm between her love for Jesus and Simon's love for Jesus, isn't there? It's a chasm so wide you could march an army through it. But Jesus' love for them is the same. Simon, you, with your perfect life and your righteous deeds... And your shriveled heart. Simon, I know you. And I've got something to say to you. Now keep looking at the details of it. Don't, don't miss the irony here. This is really delicious irony. Simon has just said to himself, where is it again? Uh, verse 39, if this man were a prophet. Okay, here's the little test Simon sets for him. He's just said in his head said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he'd know who this, who this woman really is. And of course, to him, Jesus is failing the prophet test, isn't he? He can't be a prophet and let her do this. But what does Luke do? He shows us Jesus proving he's a prophet by answering Simon when Simon hasn't even spoken. Isn't that beautiful? Simon hasn't said a word out loud. He said it to himself. And Jesus answering him said... Simon speaks internally, Jesus speaks publicly. Listen to the prophet, Simon. Listen to me. Don't sit there looking her up and down and weighing me up and down. Listen to me and as you listen, Simon, look in the mirror. Brothers and sisters this evening, look in the mirror. What does the mirror look like? Verse 41, a certain money lender had two debtors. Once there was a man and he had two problems. Problem number one is a debtor with a big debt. Let's call it 500k debt. Problem number two is a debtor with a small debt. Let's call it 50 quid. 
500,000, 50 pounds. The debts are different. One is massive and one is tiny. But they are both in debt to the man with the money, the money lender. Verse 41, it is only one verse and it is only two lines in the story and I wonder if the penny has dropped for Simon. Has he seen himself in the story yet? The sinful woman, of course, she's the debtor, isn't she? With the big debt. This woman's debt is written all over the city. Countless seedy bedrooms and tawdry alleyways. It's all over the city. I know it all, Jesus is saying. I can see what you can see. You, Simon the Pharisee, you're the debtor with the small debt. I know you love God and I know you love the law and you love that you have not done what she has done. But now look what Jesus does. Verse 42. He takes both debtors and places them on exactly the same level. Exactly the same level. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now friends, I think when you take a highlighter to your Bible and a red pen or whatever you do, it's I don't know, what is it, John 3.16 or Psalm 84 or uh, Psalm 139 in our family. We love that Psalm. Here is a verse that should be emblazoned in bold. I don't know what you do to it. Underline it. In the home of Simon the Pharisee, these words cut like a knife. It does not matter what size your debt, Simon, for bankrupt is bankrupt is bankrupt. The generous moneylender sees both types of need. Big need, small need, and he calls it same need. Isn't that right? Big need, small need, no difference. He puts a line through both of them. He cancels both their debts. I think, I think the tender scale of Jesus' story here, the reason why he has a knife in his hand that is cutting like a surgeon's scalpel, I think it's because Jesus knows the trick that debtors play on themselves is the trick of comparison, isn't it? Here's me, and here's him, and his debt is bigger than mine. Let's look at him instead of me. Here's me, there's her, She's worse. In the aftermath of those Soham murders, uh, it always happens, doesn't it? The great push, uh, of course, largely right, I'm sure, the great push was for new legislation. How are we going to protect children better? And Boris Johnson, long before he uh, became Prime Minister, way back then, writing in the Telegraph at the time, he said this, in all the push for new legislation, he said this, hang on, hang on a minute, let's be careful. Before we push for new legislation, let's not forget we share the planet with a few people who are just evil. You cannot legislate for that. Do you see the debtor's trick he's played on himself? Some people are evil. Some people them, not me, not us. We, the rest, well, we're just occasionally bad. Their debt is bigger. And while we're all looking at their huge debt, my debt flies under the radar. Some of the best reflection came, as it always does, months later. And one writer looking at the whole sorry affair said, we as a society 
love our sex offenders because they play us all on side. It's very true, isn't it? Can we see what Luke is showing us and hear what the Lord Jesus is saying to us? Forgiveness is always necessary for all. For all. Have mercy on me. On me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, year by year, we gather like this for worship, don't we? And as we gather, we take our spiritual temperatures. Spiritual health is always measured by a growing sense of personal spiritual bankruptcy. How is it possible, we say to ourselves as we watch the news, and we see someone drive a car through a crowd on a bridge, or fly planes into buildings, or disperse chemical weapons on children, and we shake our heads, how low can humanity go that we can reach such depths, and human beings made in God's image can accumulate such awful debts to God, and Jesus says, I can see what you can see just as well, but can you see what... I can see neither them nor you can pay me back. None of you. Yet my storehouses are great enough to cancel both your debts. Friends, this is the gospel, isn't it? If the standard is the stars, it does not matter whether you're at the bottom of the deepest well or standing on the highest mountain. If the standard is the stars, nobody reaches it. You will not touch the sky. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Somebody said the main barrier between God and the Pharisee, the main barrier between God and the Pharisee is not their sins, but their damnable good works. The great enemy of the gospel is not human sin, but human righteousness. It's what my father did to me. It's what my mother did to me. That's why I've got the struggles I have and the life I have. Jesus says, travel through life feeling everybody else's debt to you. Travel through life feeling everybody's debt to you more acutely than your own debt to God. And it will, well, look at Simon. It will shrivel your heart. You will sow bitterness and tears for your children and your children's children. The sins of the fathers will be visited on the children. My own sins, a few minor mishaps, understandable lapses. Yes, they're wrong, but they're nothing compared to the way that person over there has wronged me. That will take me years to recover from. Jesus says, stop plotting your place in life's map in relation to other people. Take your coordinates from me. Where are you with me? For people who are getting things right with me and coming close to me, and people who are beside me, well, they always do two things. I want to finish with these two applications. Two applications. Number one, they feel they're doing. And number two, they look in the mirror. So here's the first thing to say this evening. Feel you're doing Feel you're doing. I know that sounds strange. Listen to this. J.C. Ryle, Bishop of Liverpool. Here's what he says. More doing for Christ is the universal demand of the churches. Now, it's true, isn't it? How did I start this evening? 
held up the notice sheet, prayer meeting Thursday night, something else coming up, sign up for this, do that. We need a helper here. We need more money there. If you've been here or any other church for any period of time, it's what you hear, isn't it? Please join this rota. Consider serving in Sunday School of Truth. We'd like you to think about being a trustee and elder. There's a universal desire of the churches to see more doing. And then J.C. Ryle says this, All desire, everybody desires to see among Christians more good works, more self-denial, more practical obedience to Christ's commands. But what will produce these things? Nothing. Nothing but love. There will never be more done for Christ till there is more hearty love to Christ. The great truth remains that feeling is the secret of doing. The heart must be engaged for Christ or the hands will soon hang down. The the affections must be enlisted in his service or our obedience will soon stand still. It will always be the loving workman who does the most in the Lord's vineyard. Isn't that true? Simon's doing had no feeling. His not doing came from not feeling. Look how Jesus contrasts Simon and the woman. Look again at verse 44. It's such a beautiful but damning contrast, isn't it? Do you see this woman? I entered your house. And what Jesus is saying is you didn't even do the basic marks of hospitality. You didn't give me water. You didn't kiss me. You didn't anoint my head with oil. But not only has she done those things, she did them lavishly. She wet my feet with her tears. She anointed my head. She anointed my feet with ointment. Friends, you can tell where you are in relation to Jesus by how much you love him. Simple as that. Period, as the Americans say. End of story. You do not plot where you are in relation to Jesus by how much you are at Trinity Church events. It's by how much you love him. And by nothing else. So I want to finish with this. Feel your doing. Number two, look in the mirror again. Look in the mirror again. Jesus has wanted us, hasn't he, to look in the mirror all the way through this story and to see ourselves. And I hope you've looked and seen yourself somewhere along this spectrum this evening. Some of us are like Simon, aren't we? Some of us are Simon's. And some of us are like this woman. And most of us, I suspect, are somewhere in between. Sometimes a little bit of both. But look in the mirror once more with me here, friends. Seeing yourself is not the main person to see. Verse 41. A certain money lender. A certain generous person who's a picture of God in his lavish love and free forgiveness. A picture of Jesus himself who cancels all our debts however big and whoever owns them. See, it does not matter if your past is as long as your arm. I don't need to know if you've slept around, messed up, dropped out. It just doesn't matter because Jesus can forgive you. Maybe you've blown more chances than, more second chances than you've had hot dinner, stepped on more toes, broken more promises, lived with more failure than anyone would believe. Look in the mirror and see a man who can forgive you. 
Friends, it doesn't matter if you're the opposite. Top of the class, Mr. Dependable, the first to help others. You lead a Bible study. You've got good kids. Jesus needs to forgive you. And the scale of your love for Jesus this evening will be the measure of how much you need him. Simple as that. Big need for Jesus, big love. Small need for Jesus, small love. For friends, here is the glorious, wonderful truth. I want to finish with this. Never forget this. I wonder if you think this is true. It is better to be a prostitute with repentance than to be a theologian without it. Isn't that what Jesus is saying? It is better to be a prostitute with repentance than to be a theologian without it. And I can tell you, friends, it is the scourge and the curse of theologians to live without it. One person lives in the light and may be lost. The other person emerges from the shadows and throws their arms around the Savior. One sees sin, points a finger at it, looks at it. The other person confesses need. And so the Lord Jesus asks us, asks you and asks me, can you see Can you see what I can see? Amen.